Welcome to the Colonial Church STA podcast. My name is Pastor Matt McClory. I'm so glad you could take the time to listen to this message. Awesome. Well, this month, we're going to go for it. We're going to believe for amazing things in December. We're going to believe for for God to speak through His Word as we examine the journey from Mary and Joseph being told about this incredible promise that Jesus is going to be born. And we're going to look at the journey they take and we're going to look at the journey towards that amazing day that we celebrate at the end of this month. So December 3 to December 24th, path to the promise. But the cool thing about this promise is it's a promise for all of us. Even if you're a Christian today, can I encourage you, you have a promise. There's three tenses to your salvation. You are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. I just love that idea that even though we can examine this thing called the promise in December and encourage people to look at Jesus, even if we already have Jesus, we have the promise. We have this promise. Paul says, you are saved. 2 Timothy chapter 1, you're saved and you're called to a holy life. It's a promise. Salvation is something you access by grace through faith. Amen. So not only are we saved, we are being saved. The outworking of our salvation, our dynamic salvation, our sanctification, us becoming more Christ-like. We are being saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, For we are the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. And ultimately, we will be saved. Ultimately, we will be saved. The fulfillment of our salvation, the hope of our salvation, future salvation, the completion of our salvation. Paul puts it this way, he says, Romans 13, our salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. So we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. That's our promise. Let's not get into this mindset where like Christmas is just that time where we sort of examine this historical data and look at a historical figure. No, 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 as people of God, we have a promise. That's our promise, but we should never lose sight that this promise is for others as well. I think that's what Christmas is ultimately about for Christians. It's about taking just another opportunity to point as many people to Jesus as we can. As many as we can. As many as we can. The very nature of the gospel of grace is that it's inclusive. It's about inviting people in. It's not for the church or the chosen frozen. We don't do all this just for us. We'd get a smaller building. We'd buy our own chairs. We'd keep it small. But the reality is someone hasn't seen the promise yet. And whilst one remains, we will do church. We will believe for bigger things. We will believe for God to do more in our city. We will believe for more people to be reached. There's a promise for people and there's people out there who don't know about it yet. But this promise didn't just arrive at Mary and Joseph's time. When they showed up on the scene, it's not like, there's the promise. This promise of Jesus coming to earth was foretold a long time, a long time before Mary and Joseph. It actually began with David. It was first spoken from God to David. It's called the Davidic Covenant. It's important for us to understand this. But it's very important because God promised David that he would make his name great. And that he would raise up someone from his line, from the throne, from his throne, his chosen one. And that person 
would rule forever. And then in Isaiah, he confirmed it. And it always gets quoted around this time of year, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it's important because we as Christians, we believe this is what was prophesied in the Old Testament about what was going to come. And he said, to his people, a child would be born, a son would be given, and the government would rest on his shoulders. The reign of his kingdom would know no end. He would rule forever. And just a couple of chapters later, it talks about a shoot that would rise up from the stump of Jesse. And Jesse, of course, was David's father. He would rise up in chapter 11, verse 1. He says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Listen to it in verse 2. It says, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, Jesus. It will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. So it's a promise that has been foretold for many years before Mary and Joseph. Many years before Luke chapter 1, which is our text for today, you can begin to open. Many years this was promised, this was looked for, this was a time in God's people where people were receptive and they were looking for the Messiah. It was just like this, this time, this season of God's people where people were on the lookout for the Messiah. But we have to understand that that's how it came about. In fact, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, which is the most Jewish of all the Gospels, the reason that it begins with the genealogy of Jesus, I don't know if you've ever looked at it, but chapter 1 is just, there's so many names that go down in the first part of Matthew. They call it the Jewish Gospel. It's because the writer is trying to get the people of God to understand that Jesus came from that line. That it actually makes sense when you look at history, when you look at what Isaiah said, when you look at it all, this all lines up. So in Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin the journey right now. In verse 26, I'm going to open my Bible. Did you bring your Bible to church? Did you bring your Bible to church? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be a to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. Valid question, I think. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Remember that word, overshadow. We're going to look at that in a moment. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you right now for the power of your word tonight. God, thank you that we can stand tall on it. Father, thank you that we can look at these gospel accounts and understand that it was your plan all along, that this promise was your plan all along. 
And that ultimately, God, we can, we can rest knowing that you brought Jesus to earth for us. And God, I just pray that we would learn something new, something fresh tonight, something would be imparted into our lives and our hearts, Father, that would just change us, God. Holy Spirit, we say you're welcome here. Lord, refresh us. Come into our lives. And we all said together, Amen. So this promise is God's invitation. That's the main theme of my message tonight is this. God's promise is our invitation. God's promise is our invitation. His promises are ultimately an invitation for us to be a part of the miracle. Does anyone believe that tonight? When God promises us something, I want us to, I want us to get this church. When he gives us a promise, what it really is, is one big, beautiful invitation wrapped up and given to us. An invitation to be a part of his miracle. An invitation to play a small part in this amazing salvation work that God does. This is what happened in Luke chapter 1. It wasn't like it all hinged on Mary's efforts. It wasn't like it all hung on the fact that Mary was really, really special. But it was an invitation. It was an invitation for her and for Joseph to play a part in God's great story. His promises are an invitation to be a part of the miracle. What journey does God want to take you on today? That means playing a part in his miracle promise in your life. I wonder what that looks like for you. Is it playing a part in the salvation miracle of someone else? Jesus said in John chapter 12, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That's a promise. It's a promise and perhaps God wants you to be invited into that miracle promise for someone else. What promise has he given you that's yet to be fulfilled in your life? I wonder what that looks like. I wonder what that could be. See, in Luke chapter 1, Mary was promised something from God, that something was delivered by Gabriel, that something would take place. It was from God. And see, that's how our God works. First of all, he invites us in. Then he allows us to be involved and to play a part in a much bigger thing. First of all, he says, here's the promise. Here's your part. Do you want to play? Here's what I'm doing. Here's your opportunity. Are you in? And that's what happened in Luke chapter 1. So a few things about this promise. Because we're on path to the promise for this month. The first thing is this. The promise always seems impossible at first. It always seems impossible at first. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this could be, i.e., what's happening here? Is there a lightning bolt coming next for me if I don't answer this right? But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. See, when we're presented with the promise at first, it always seems crazy and impossible. It always seems outside the realms of possibility. It always seems like, naturally speaking, this can't be. This couldn't happen to me. God's promises, this could never happen to me. God promises at first, always, his promises always seem impossible at first. God wants me to prosper, but right now I have nothing. That's crazy. God wants me to be married to an amazing godly person, but I'm single and ready to mingle. But there's no mingling going on. That's not possible. It's crazy, but it's a promise. God wants to give me a family. 
It seems impossible right now. Look at my circumstances around me. That's impossible. But we serve the God who makes the impossible possible. That's who we serve. Are you glad today? That's who we serve. In the New Living Translation, in verse 36 of chapter, Luke chapter 1, it says, What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. Listen to it in verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. Who's grateful today? We serve a God who takes the impossible and makes it possible. We serve the God who can bring families back together. We serve the God who can restore sight to blind people. We serve a God who can restore health to sick people. We serve the type of God who can bring people back from the brink. He can take a dysfunctional relationship and make it functional again. He can turn a business around. You might feel like you're on the verge of bankruptcy. God can take the impossible and make it possible in Jesus' name. Is anyone with me tonight? God's in the business of doing the impossible. That's his business. He has the biggest market share. He's the market leader in that business. In Exodus chapter 14, he's been doing this for a long time. Even back in Exodus chapter 14, I want to read it to you. It's really cool in the message translation. This is a discourse between Moses and God, and Moses is leading the people out of there. And he says this, Moses spoke to the people, said, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today, for you're never going to see them again. God will fight the battle for you, and you, talking about what you, what you need to do, he says, and you Keep your mouths shut. Let God do the work. Let God do what he can do. Let God take the the impossible and make it possible today. All we have to do is keep our mouths shut. I love it. Can I encourage you today? You may have been given a promise by God. Stand tall on it. Just believe that God, even if it seems impossible to you, just stand tall on it. Just believe that God's going to do what he's going to do. Let him fight the battle for you. We just sometimes have to shut up. Sometimes we just have to just get the thoughts out of our head, maybe stop speaking a certain way, and just stand tall on what God said he would do. I love it. I think it's so true for us today. Maybe you need to write it down. I've had to do that before. A promise has been spoken over my life. It's been confirmed to me. And I needed to write it down. Because if I didn't write it down, if I didn't get it on the inside of me, it may never have come to pass. It may never, I never would have hung on to it enough to see it come to pass. So the first thing about the promise is that it seems impossible. The second thing is this, clarity comes. Clarity finds its way into the promise. Clarity finds its way into your journey. See, we serve an equipping God. The Bible says he never leaves us nor forsakes us, but he delights in giving his children good things. God provided the necessary detail for her assignment. In verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called a Son of God. Do you notice the layup there? It says the power of the Most High God will overshadow you so The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. There's no mix-up here. 
God's not going to allow it to be, to be so that you get the glory or that you get the credit or that all of a sudden someone turns around and says, isn't he amazing? It's got to all work so that people look to God. It's got to all work so that people give credit to Jesus. But this word overshadowed, in the Hebrew, the word is sakak or covered. But in the Greek, it's a little more exhaustive or illustrative for us. The word is, es- I've got to get it right, episkiazo. I don't speak fluent Greek, okay? But it's used in the New Testament to explain God's overshadowing presence, which always brings his boule plan to pass. The word boule means God resolved, God purposed, purposely cha- arranging all the physical circumstances which guarantees every scene of life works for his eternal purpose. The promise. It was all a part of his idea. It was all a part of his work. And Gabriel shared it with Mary and gave her the clarity that she needed. It was covered. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says it like this. He says, Now unto him who can do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Everybody knows that verse. Everybody thinks that verse is amazing. Immeasurably more. That, wow, that's incredible. I mean, immeasurably, I mean, there's no measure for it. Wow, that's amazing. Immeasurably more. But a lot of people forget the back end of that verse. According to his power, which is at work in me. And I just love that idea that when the clarity comes for us, Perhaps some of the clarity is understanding that it's actually God's power at work, not mine. It's not my efforts, but what God is doing in my life. The power of the, ad- the overshadowing, boule, eternal purpose is at work in our God-given promises. How do we get clarity for our God-given assignment? You might be asking today, how do I get clarity if God gives me a word, if God gives me a promise? Here's a big question we need to ask ourselves when it comes to God's promises. If you have a strong urging that God has given you a promise or is speaking to you about doing something or going somewhere or doing something, you have to ask yourself this question. Does it line up with his word? If you feel like maybe God has given you a promise and you need clarity, line it up to his word. Let's be the type of church that always uses God's word as our high water mark. Let's be the type of church that stands tall on God's word. Amen? Come on, don't go quiet on me. That's the best point. Every promise from God lines up, measures up, and is confirmed and clarified by God's word. Are you basing your decisions today on his word? Are you choosing or making life choices that line up with God's word? I'll give you an example. Someone says, oh man, I've got this strong urging I feel like it's a promise from God to go around the world, to go and see some stuff and explore and just see what God has for me out there. And you say, well, man, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. But you have a family at home. You have two or three kids that you need to put through school. You have a wife that you need to be faithful to. You have all this stuff around you that God has given you, that He's, he's purpose in your life that you need to steward Can I encourage you that strong urging you had is not God because it doesn't line up with his word. We need to be the type of people that no matter what it looks like in life, if it doesn't line up with God's word, I don't want it in my life. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to even consider it. I don't want to be taken off track. I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. I want to keep walking 
his way. So often in life, we want it both ways, don't we? Yeah, I want the promise. Yeah, man, I want the promise. I'm going to stand in the stadium while the worship is. I want the promise. And then I leave the stadium or the conference. I listened to this awesome message one, by, one time by this guy called Paul Scanlon. You may have heard of him. He preached this message at Hillsong Conference called The Conference God. <laughs> the Conference God. Because it's easy just to go from conference to conference to conference to conference and serve that God and forget about everything else that's going on in your life. But it's real. We need to understand that God's word is the be all and the end all. I want the promise, but I know it's real for me if it lines up with his word. Amen? Mary did. She said this, may your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me today be fulfilled. The third thing about the promise, the first is that it's impossible. The second is that we get clarity. And the third is this, it requires a response. You know, in church life, as a pastor, dealing with people, leading people, pastoring people, being involved in, with people and occasionally having to step out in faith and speak to someone, One thing I've realized is that dealing with people or pastoring people is extremely delicate. It's intricate. And let's be honest, sometimes it's just complicated. Sometimes we are just complicated people. Can we call a spade a spade tonight? Sometimes we can be complicated. And sometimes I've I've figured out there's all these litmus tests as a pastor you 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 can use. You can sort of just, the more you deal with people, the more you realize there's some litmus tests. And one of them is this, when you, sometimes when you have to step out of faith and encourage someone, maybe help them a little bit, say, hey, you need to see it this way because I think this is going to help you in your future. You know, maybe you need to step out and actually say, hey, look, this may not be good for you and your family. But one thing I've noticed is this. The most important thing is the response. When you, when you say something to someone, especially in church life as a pastor, I've always find myself coming back. I'm going to just have to wait and see what the response looks like. See what the response is. See, God never wants us to react to him. He wants us to respond to him. He doesn't want a reaction. He wants us to respond to him. When we get offended, when something sort of comes at us from left field or, you know, just it doesn't feel right, we react. But God wants us to respond. And when it comes to God's promise and his invitation, think about an invitation. Someone invites you over for dinner. Someone invites you to an event. Someone invites you to a family thing. You respond. You respond to that invitation. And that's what God does with his promises. He invites us to a response. I love Mary's response. It's so simple. Confident. She knew exactly what she was doing. I love it. She said in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What a response. God brings a heavenly invitation into Mary's life and into Joseph's life. But there came a time when she had to decide. She had to bring her spirit into alignment with God's will. That part was her response to the heavenly invitation. The best possible response is obedience. The worst possible response is unbelief. In this part of Luke, Gabriel, he quotes Elizabeth's pregnancy. 
how she was six months into it, she was unable to conceive, but God did the impossible. But if you go back and read it, it played out a little differently for Zechariah, who was Elizabeth's husband. It plays out a little differently. You see, he was a priest. He was in the sanctuary. He was right by the incense altar, and the angel came at that time. I mean, he was right in the sweet spot. He was inside the sanctuary, and they were all waiting outside for him. And the angel appeared to him and said some incredible things to him. Said things like, you're going to have a son. Your wife's going to conceive. His name's going to be John. He's going to bring joy to people. He's going to be amazing. He's going to, he's going to get people ready for the Messiah. I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine just having that explained to you as part of the miracle? But see, Zachariah's response was different. Listen to his response in Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Zechariah says to the angel, How can I be sure this will, hap- this will happen? I'm an old man now. He points to his circumstances. He says, I'm an old man now, and my wife is well along in years. But the angel said to him, <laughs> and I love this, I just do this when I read the Bible. I kind of just picture maybe how they're saying it. The angel Gabriel says, I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring this word to you, the good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will be certainly fulfilled at the proper time. He had a spirit of unbelief. And when it comes to our response to God's promises, team, you can come back up. When it comes to our response to the miracle, I believe we have two options. We can respond with obedience Or we can respond with unbelief. And unbelief points to our circumstances. Unbelief points to the things around us that indicate that this can't take place. That's what Zachariah did. He started looking around. He's like, man, I'm old. Not only am I old, but my wife's old too. Have you looked at her lately, Angel Gabriel? She's old. I'm old. He didn't respond with belief. He responded with unbelief. And I I truly believe there's a lot in the Gospels that Jesus comes out when it comes to the religious leaders about unbelief, when it comes to God's promises. Zechariah chose to focus on what he didn't have, not what on God could do. I wonder if you could just lift your eyes today and get the heavenly perspective on your life. What would change? How would it look? Instead of finding yourselves down in the shortcomings and what I don't have, what if we focused on what God can do? Am I preaching to anyone tonight? You focus on what God's doing in your life. It'd be so easy to say, well, there's just nothing going on. There's nothing happening. You know, I feel a void. I feel like... I feel like there's not enough moving parts right now. There's not enough activity or whatever the circumstance might be. But can I encourage you, friend? God's given you a promise. We need to have the heavenly perspective. The heavenly perspective looks like this. It says you're saved. The heavenly perspective says you have Jesus in your life. That changes everything. You have Jesus in your life. Your children are going to grow up in the house of God. All of a sudden, the heavenly perspective says the generations are changed because of that decision. 
all of a sudden we find ourselves looking at the heavenly perspective that says we can be generous to the world around us. All of a sudden God can get into the lives of the people around us because we have made a decision to be focused on Him. That's the heavenly perspective. And the cool thing about this story in Luke chapter 1 was Mary had the heavenly perspective. Mary understood the implications of her decision. Mary understood that this would have huge implications for the people of God and the world. Mary understood that there would be a multitude of people that would benefit from her saying yes. Why don't you stand with me? God's promise, our invitation. sing as we worship just in these last few minutes why don't you just take a moment and just see it from heaven's perspective worship God from heaven's perspective Paul said that we're citizens of heaven we're just on our way through imagine if we change change the lens a little bit in our lives how would things change come on let's sing let's go Thank you for listening to this message. We pray it bless you greatly. Please visit us at www.colonialchurch.life for more.